Thanks for listening to our Church in the City podcast. In our series, Unto All, The Sending and Saving Heart of God in Jonah, we're unpacking God's intentional partnership with His people to outwork His desire for everyone to come to know Him and discovering that no one is left unimpacted. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jonah. Uh, I'll give you a minute to find it. It probably only takes about two pages. It's right there kind of in the middle uh, of the whole Bible. We've been studying all year this, this phrase, fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. Fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. That is, walking out Jesus' mandate, his, his, his commissioning to share the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. That's the Great Commission. By obeying Jesus' command to, in short, love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. That's the greatest command. So fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. The rest of this year, we're going to be focusing on the outworking of the Great Commission in all its various aspects, generationally, financially, relationally, evangelistically, etc. We're going to just be tackling the Great Commission and asking the question, what does that outworking look like in our lives practically right here, Chicago 2015? So you would think that each and every Sunday, basically we're all going to gather here and we're going to put Matthew 28, 18 through 20 right up on the screen behind us. It's not there. Don't look for it. Uh, Which is where Jesus says to his disciples, you know, what we call the Great Commission. Jesus didn't call it that, but we call it the Great Commission. And you know it's that because your Bible subtitles it that. So subtitles are never wrong, and they're fully inspired. In the original Greek and Hebrew. So you would think each week we're going to be in that passage. And I want to tell you that passage is going to play a huge part in the, rest of our, in the rest of our year. But why have I asked you to turn to the book of Jonah? Why did I just mention a book in the Old Testament? We're talking about the Great Commission. Well, Steve, last week, if you remember, he preached a sermon called Five Things Every Believer Should Know About the Great Commission. And I could never get past the first one. It just wrecked me. Where Steve said, the Great Commission has been around since Adam and Eve. Since God first made human beings, he created us to exert the influence of the kingdom of God throughout all creation. And once sin entered the world, that influence of the kingdom of God took on an air of salvation and took on a purpose of renewal. That is, bringing the reality of the kingdom of God to the present tense here on earth. So the Great Commission doesn't just start when Jesus pulls his disciples together at the, at the tail end of the book of Matthew and says, by the way, the Great Commission doesn't start there. It had started long before. And it continued to then, continues till this day, and continues till Jesus physically returns to the earth. Because there's something in the heart of God that's always been seeking and saving the lost. Always. From the moment there was such a thing as the lost, there's something in the heart of God that has always sought them and desired to save them and bring them back unto himself. No matter Old Testament, no matter New Testament, God's character is unchanging. So there's nothing new in the moment when Jesus says to us, hey, go into all the world and make disciples. and There's nothing 
It's not like a light bulb goes off. It's just, it's Jesus saying, remember the character of my father. It's unchanging. And this is what I'm commissioning you to do. There's a partnership. So God's desire for us is to know him, to love him, to obey and worship him. And that's never changed, ever. God's desire for us is to be fulfilled in him. And and his desire is to bless us in knowing him. And that's never changed. It's always been present. It's not just a New Testament thing. The Great Commission is all throughout Scripture. You can flip your Bible open, put your finger anywhere, and the Great Commission is going on, no matter what. That'd be another interesting thing to grab from that How to Read the Bible course. Great opportunity there. Another plug. I'm not going to try to replug it. I'm just, I need Mark to wake me up every morning with a pep talk. And Jonah is no different. Jonah is no different. The Great Commission is going on. In fact, I would say... Jonah's one of my favorite books of the Bible, and you're going to figure that out in a few minutes when I actually start preaching on it. Um, I would say that Jonah is probably, in my opinion, the most evangelistic book in the whole Bible, New Testament or Old Testament. And the reason is, I think we see the clearest, most direct account of God's outright desire to bring salvation to all. The clearest, direct account. God sets his sights on the lost. He's going to go after them. He's going to get them, and he gets them. And we see that in Jonah. It's the most evangelistic book. So that's where we're going to be for the next five weeks in our series called Unto All, the Sending and Saving Heart of God in Jonah. So since we can know confidently that the Great Commission is going on all throughout Scripture, I still think it's it's advantageous for us to sort of ready our hearts for the part of Scripture that we're going to be in. I know you're saying, get to the passage already. Let's, let's crack it open. Let's get to Jonah. But a readiness and a preparation helps us receive more clearly what God is revealing about himself and us. Readiness and preparation helps us receive more clearly what God is revealing about himself and us. So for Jonah, let's, ask a, let's realize a couple of things. And let's just get them in our head and let's just be sure to... Uh, as we tackle the text, that we keep these things in mind. First of all, in Jonah, we are in the Old Testament. We are in the Old Testament. Yes, the Great Commission is going on through all of Scripture. It does not mean that the Old Testament is not different from the New Testament. It is in lots of ways. But the Old Testament is critical. It's the fully inspired, fully God-revealing first covenant of law with God's people. Essential to knowing him in his holiness. If you remember last summer, we, we took a study through the book of Ruth, and then we piggybacked on that, a study through the life of David. And one of the things we talked about at the start of that journey through the Old Testament is I, I kind of gave you my Chipotle story, where, you know, when you walk into Chipotle, and it's like amazing because there's everything right there, and you get to pick and choose, you know, what you want, what kind of Tortilla, if you want one, rice, all this stuff. And you make this amazing personalized creation that you then get to go and enjoy. Maybe that's just exciting for me. But, and I think sometimes that's the way we approach Scripture. Where we say, I take a little bit of epistles. I really oh, I dig the Gospels. Can I get an extra helping? And then, of course, this over here is a dollar extra, but we take it. And then, you know, and we make sort of our own personalized flavor of Scripture. And I got to tell you, a lot of times we leave out a lot of the Old Testament because it's just gosh darn intimidating and hard to understand. We can't do that. The Old Testament is essential for catching the fiercely just, merciful, holy, loving heart of God. 
And we've got to be in it. So we're in it for Jonah and the Great Commission's going on all throughout it. In addition to being in the Old Testament, we're in a part of the Old Testament in Jonah called the Minor Prophets. Awesome. They're not minor because they're not important. They're minor just in length. They're just shorter books. There's 12 of them. They're, they're all pretty short, just a few chapters. Some are not even a full chapter long, just a series of verses. So Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, prophets like these, they wrote dozens and dozens of chapters. And then Jonah, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, some of these others, they just wrote smaller accounts. So they're called the minor prophets. Um, Old Testament books all have different types of genres. Some are history. Some are the accounts of the ancient Israelites. Some are poetry, psalms and proverbs, revealing the heart of God in that way. Others are law, the outright law of God being given. But there's also the prophetic genre, and that's the genre that we're in. See, God raised up prophets in ancient Israel to bring his message directly to the nation. A message of reminding Israel of what God's law and covenant was to them. A message of reminding Israel when they were breaking God's law and covenant, and therefore the judgment that was coming. A message of reminding them that God loves them fiercely, and his heart is to deliver them. That was the function of the office of prophet in the Old Testament. And each of the minor prophets functioned in that way, and they all kind of bear some similar characteristics. Do yourself a favor. Go spend some time in the minor prophets. It will not take you long to read all 12 books. You can do it in an afternoon. And just look for these characteristics. There's always, from the mouth of the prophet, a warning of coming judgment because of current sinfulness. Some, some kind of description of sin and a description of judgment coming. There's also always a call for repentance. God is never saying, you're doomed, drop the mic, I'm out. <laughs> really great having you on planet Earth, I'm going to wipe you off the face of it. It's never the heart of God. So there's always a call for repentance and a promise of deliverance. Even when judgment has to be rendered, God says, I promise that my heart is for you and I will deliver you. So this should clue us in to the flavor of how God is going to reveal himself and his heart in a prophetic book like Jonah. So we're in the Old Testament, we're in the Minor Prophets. Jonah actually also is in narrative form. Jonah is a narrative. And Jonah is unique in that way. Not all the Minor Prophets function in that, in that type of format. And that means we've got a story on our hands. And if you know me, you know I'm ridiculously excited about that. I'm a sucker for a good story. I hope you are too. Now, when I say story, I want to clarify something. When I say the story of Jonah, I do not mean the fictitious account. I don't mean fake characters uh, in a nicely woven together, made-up tale. That's one meaning of story. That's not the meaning of story that we're working with. When I say story, story of Jonah, I mean a series of true events that God uses in succession to reveal himself and his character. A series of true events that God uses to reveal himself and his character. That's what we mean when we say story. Like your life has a story and it actually happened. It's true. Nonfiction. So we're going to have to clue in with our story muscle. You guys have heard me preach on this before. We each have a story muscle. It's the way we start chewing on a story where we begin to glean what the meaning of it is and what actually is going on. 
We know that Jonah is a prophetic book, so we ready ourselves that way to hear that way. We know that Jonah is a narrative book, so we ready ourselves to hear that way. And that story muscle is the sense that you have to discern the context and the stakes, what's at stake in any given set of circumstances to find out the meaning. And you already do this all the time. You know you do. Whether you're talking to someone that you just met, you're figuring things out, you're figuring out how to take things, you're figuring out where to place them in the story to find significance, and you're allowing those realizations to let meaning develop in you as to what is being revealed. And the further in and more intimate you get with a certain story, the less effort it takes for the story revealer to actually get through to you. Does that make sense? It's the difference between watching season one of a show and watching season seven. In season one, you have to catch everything. You're like, okay, and they have to be pretty blatant about it. Like, oh, protagonist, awesome. Okay, follow this person. Wonderful, wonderful. And then you're kind of picking up on everything, watching it again, making sure you don't miss anything. In season seven, what happens? You know what's coming like 10 minutes from now because you're intimate with the story and you get how it's being revealed to you. You've become intimate and your story muscle is story ready for this particular story. And then lastly... We still have to interpret the Bible well. We still have to interpret the Bible well. We still always have to ask the question, what's that original writer saying to the original hearers? And what does that mean for us today? Just because it's a prophetic book, just because it's narrative, just because it's Old Testament, doesn't mean we get off of our good Bible interpretation. So with that said, with with... We're in the Old Testament, we're in the Minor Prophets, this is Jonah, it's narrative. We remember that God's heart has always been to seek and save the lost. The Great Commission is always going on. We are just going to creak open the door of Jonah today. Just going to creak it open in the first four verses. And we're going to discover what what we want to call in this series the sending and saving heart of God. The sending and saving heart of God. So let's highlight a few things what God can reveal to us about his heart for the lost and his heart for the ones he's sending to the lost. Have you found Jonah in the Bible yet or on your phone? It's a lot easier on your phone. It's not fair. See, we didn't have a phone when I was, yeah. So let's read the first four verses of Jonah, chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. You know, it's always a temptation to kind of ease into any story, especially scripture. Like, let those first few sentences or paragraphs kind of like massage us in. And we kind of, kind of treat them as like throwaway. We can't do that here. A whole lot has just happened. So let's unpack a little bit of this piece by piece. And this is an ant or something crawling on my computer. It's wonderful. I'm sure that would be great on the recording 10 years from now. <laughs> let's unpack this piece by piece and get a sense about what God is revealing about himself. So just, let's just take this narratively, phrase by phrase. Let's start off in, in first part of verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So who was Jonah? Well, we know from the voice of the book that Jonah was a prophet. But how do we know this also? Did you know Jonah is actually mentioned in Scripture in another place? In the book of 2 Kings, 
chapter 14, verse 25, Jonah is described. I'll read it for you here. It's not going to be on the screen. But it says, In accordance with the word of the Lord, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. Prophet carries great significance in that it's an office of speaking to the people on the, God's behalf. And there's always, we see great significance, therefore, right at the start in the book of Jonah. It is never a small thing in Scripture when we see the phrase, and the word of the Lord came unto, oh, we're probably about to have a book of the Bible. <laughs> it's not a small thing. And we have that right off the top here. It means that something has so moved God that he will clearly reveal himself enough for it to be termed the word of the Lord came unto so-and-so. So there's no easing in to the book of Jonah right off the top. A prophet named Jonah receives the timely and urgent message that is on God's heart. It's another way we could open up this book. And what is that word from the Lord? Let's keep reading. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Well, where is Nineveh and why is it significant? God... There's a pressing word, and you reveal it to Jonah, and it's go to the great city of Nineveh. Well, let's follow a little bit of context here. Let's study a little bit together. We know because of when Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings as a prophet, we know when he lived. We know what was going on historically at that time. And part of what was going on is that at that time, the kingdom of the Israelite people was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. You see, after David's son, King Solomon, died, there was insurrection and division amongst Israel, and they split into two kingdoms. And in Jonah's life, that is still going on. We're actually about two centuries into that, the time when Jonah is alive. And we know from that verse in 2 Kings that Jonah is a prophet from Gath-Hefer. And Gath-Hefer is in Galilee. So we know Jonah is in the northern kingdom. He's in the kingdom of Israel. There's, two, there's a monarchy in Israel. There's a monarchy in Judah. The capital of Israel is Samaria. The capital of, capital of Judah is Jerusalem. Jonah is under the reign of the northern kingdom in the region of Galilee. And something's happening in, uh, just outside the northern kingdom of Israel. There is a great and mighty nation forming just off of the northern border of the northern kingdom. And this nation is called Assyria. And Assyria is growing in military might. It's growing in economic might. It's growing in numbers. Culturally, socially, it is becoming the dominant power in this region. This is all going on right on Israel's doorstep. It's a nemesis. And Israel's aware of it, and it's not looking good. And I'll give you one guess what the capital of Assyria was. Nineveh. <laughs> and God says, go there. <laughs> go to Nineveh. This is a disastrous command for Jonah to receive. This is the worst possible word of the Lord that could have come to Jonah. Really? You spoke to me about this? Honestly? Somehow, when I was four years old, hearing this story for the first time, I never got the geopolitical context of it. But <laughs> this is not good news for Jonah. So what does God say? We were already, we started off on a bad foot, if you're Jonah. And then God continues to say, so go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So again, we're starting to taste the prophetic here. There's wickedness, there's coming judgment, it needs to be addressed, my desire is to deliver, 
this sinfulness needs to be called out. But in this case, it's, it's to Nineveh. It's not to the people of Israel or Judah. And there's this troubling phrase in here. I don't know if you wrestle with this as much as I do, but it's this phrase, preach against it. Is, is God being mean? Is he being vindictive? Is God being cruel like we just mentioned? Like is God saying, would you just let Nineveh know that I'm going to just kick them to shreds and wipe them off the face of the earth and then you can just catch the first flight back home? Is that God's heart? Well, I want to say no. It can't mean just go and preach destruction or else I kind of think Jonah would go. Can you imagine? Think of your worst enemy and the word of the Lord comes to you and says, would you go tell your worst enemy that I'm done with them and they're going to get annihilated? You'd be like, sweet, let's gas up the car. (laughs) Doing this. It can't mean go and do that or Jonah would go. It is a warning of dire significance because the heart of God is always to bring sin to the forefront so that we can turn from it. God brings sin to the forefront so that we can repent. The heart of God is always to deliver. And God will give destruction when we have chosen destruction to get our attention so that we will turn to him. So preach against it means go and tell them that repentance is on the table. Repentance is on the table. And actually, God prefers to deliver. God is always ready to deliver. This is why Jonah doesn't want to (laughs) go. He knows this is the heart of God. We're going to see Jonah later in the book wrestle with God about this. It's not danger. It's not fear. It's not worry that keeps Jonah from going, although it is probably a dangerous thing to do. It's, if Nineveh repents, Jonah knows God's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver their nemesis. And God's preferred response is to deliver, and we have to remember that. So let's keep going. Let's just unpack phrase by phrase what we're seeing here. Let's start in verse 3, or continue in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. We see that Jonah makes a choice. Now remember, Jonah's a prophet. Jonah functions in the office of hearing the word of the Lord, knowing that he's dead serious about it, taking it to the people, expecting action upon it so that God can bring deliverance. Jonah knows this. (laughs) What does Jonah do? Other way. He's a prophet. But he still makes this choice. And this choice reflects not, not only what Jonah feels about Nineveh and about salvation, but he, he knows about God's heart here because he knows the effect that repentance and deliverance will bring to his arch enemy. So God, God commands Jonah to be the potential salvation linchpin for the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah's, Jonah's answer is, I'd rather they not have it. I'd rather they not have it. In our kitchen, in our apartment, we, it's kind of like this little bit open kitchen with this like island down the, the middle of it where our sink and everything is. And our two girls sit at a little Ikea table with some chairs. And that's where they often will eat breakfast or whatever while things are going on crazy in our house. And Gideon, our, our son, his high chair is kind of on the other side of the island. So the girls always fight about who gets to sit in the one chair in the table where you can actually see Gideon because they like to just mess with him. And I kid you not, like 5.45 every morning, it's like we wake up sweetly, oh, wonderful, wonderful, and then it is like wrestling over that chair. And that's how we begin in the Lusk household. You're welcome. (laughs) So, so, So for dinner a couple nights ago, 
uh, Laurel May, our almost three-year-old, is getting to sit in the favorite chair. And Amelia, our almost six-year-old, is not. And we've already gone through the row of, you know, that it was May May's turn. You know, World War III has been averted. And May May is going to pray for our dinner. So May May's prayer goes like this. Dear Lord, thank you for our food. Thank you that I get to sit in this chair. And thank you that my sister wants to sit in this chair. (laughs) I don't remember any of the prayer after that because I was on the floor. (laughs) And she's, of course, being playful and not understanding. But there's something of that going on in the heart of Jonah, too. You see, the people of Israel were God's people. They housed the presence of God and were intended to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That is what God first said to Abraham when he said, I will make you the father of many. And Jonah's response is, thank you that we're your people. Thank you that others want salvation, but we're happy right here. It's a little bit of Jonah's heart towards Nineveh. It's not only great to have it, it's great that they don't. (laughs) Makes it just a little bit sweeter. This is Jonah's worst enemy, and it's maybe something for us to think about in terms of how we think of others. Just going to put that out there. So let's keep reading about what Jonah does. So, verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, it is of note that Tarshish actually was a city on the very other edge of the known world. It's a city in the south of Spain. It was like totally the other direction from Nineveh, which is further inland. It is of note, and that's a statement of itself, the choice that Jonah makes. And I think it's significant. But, you know, Jonah is, is sometimes referred to as a very comic book. And Jonah finds himself in some pretty ridiculous situations, if you know the whole story of Jonah. But I, th- I actually think this is one of the funniest parts of Jonah. These are hysterically, almost sarcastic verses. And we, we have every historical reason to believe that Jonah is the actual author of this book. And so Jonah is kind of elaborating here on his disobedience <laughs> to God. Verses 3 and 4, in my opinion, could read like this. Jonah didn't want to do it, so he disobeyed the Lord and went the other way. But instead, what we get is, Jonah flee from the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship, bought the fare. Oh, by the way, boarded the ship and sailed for Tarshish. That's like when my wife, Jess, asked me, Nate and I were joking about this. When my wife, Jess, asked me to go to Costco on a Saturday, and my response is, Hiding my keys, sitting on the couch, finding the remote, finding football, going to that channel, watching football, and not going to Costco. (laughs) This is not just no. This is an elaboration of every choice of disobedience. This is an enumeration of the steps of still not doing it, buying my fare, walking on the ship, God, the one that's not going where you want me to go, the one that's going to the city where we don't know anything that's west of it. It is a little bit funny, and it's darkly disobedient, especially for one who knows the word of the Lord. Jonah is inviting the very wooing of the Lord that he is, he's so accustomed to declaring, you're walking away, you're walking away, you're disobeying, you're inviting destruction, the Lord is calling you back, the Lord will bring destruction and judgment to bring you back, repent, now's the time, and Jonah is like walking it out. 
And you can hear God saying, you're turning away from me. I will get your attention. I want you to repent. I love you, so please obey me. This is what Jonah is inviting. Let's finish off verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So this is actually circumstantially as far as we're going to get into the story of Jonah today. Nate's going to pick it up next week. But I I think it's of great significance that in verse 3, we see that Jonah starts his response, but Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah, and then verse 4 starts, then the Lord. But Jonah, then the Lord. The Lord is going to get him. The Lord is going to get the lost. But Jonah, but James, then the Lord. We're not dealing with a God who gets caught off guard. God is certainly after Nineveh, and, he, and we will get there. God is certainly after Nineveh, but he's also after Jonah in getting there. He's also after Jonah. You see that? But Jonah, then the Lord. So as I bring this into land, really, it's not like the kiss of death. Like, I'm really bringing it into the land. I think there's three keys that we need to look at and we need to keep in the forefront of our mind for the next five weeks as we study in the book of Jonah. In light of the Great Commission being all throughout Scripture, in light of it always going on, three things. The first might be a little obvious, but we need to remember that God has a relentless heart for the loss. Relentless. All the lost. It's been preached here before, and we've been reminded that there is no one, no people group, no circumstance, no anything that is disqualified or outside of the reach and bounds of the grace and salvation available to all by the saving work of Jesus Christ. There's just nothing that doesn't fall in that. Can we just remember that for a minute? Because I'm not sure that I every day function off of that truth, if I'm honest. In my knee-jerk, honest moments, I don't know that I function off of that. I think I, I look at some stuff and I'm like, that's just not going to get solved till Jesus comes back and makes it all right. No, no, no. Not with the great commission that I see in here. It also begs a question, who are your Ninevehs? Who are your Ninevehs? Who do you p- potentially see as unsavable or that you like prefer they kind of get what they deserve? Man, that's uncomfortable to talk about. And I don't really like saying it, not to you. I don't like saying it for me. Who, who, who are my Ninevehs? And is God actually after them too? When, he comes, when Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, do they fall into that? God has a relentless heart for the lost, all the lost. Second thing that we need to keep at the forefront of our mind is that God has an intimate and refining purpose for the church. And that means you. God has an intimate purpose and refining purpose for the church. And that means you. We've already said it. God is not just after Nineveh. God is after Jonah in getting there. And God is not just after the lost like he's always been. He is refining you and me, his church, as we partner with him to go after them. God's after us. Making his ways our ways. Making his eyes our eyes, his heart our heart. When he speaks, we obey. 
a deeper intimacy with him, a more pleasurable relationship, a fullness of knowing him. God is after that for you and me. Can you imagine a church that yearns for the lost the way that Jesus yearns for the lost? And can you imagine then that church, not as a subtitle, but on that same level, that same church yearning for God to refine them and make them more like the person of Jesus Christ as they go after the lost. I got to tell you, that's revolutionary to me. I'm 34 years old and I'm sitting here getting smacked upside the head. God is after and he's, he wants an intimate refining of the church that is going after because he's not just after Nineveh, he's after Jonah. That's the sending and saving heart of God. And the last thing I think we need to do, and I've started to pray about how this happens in my own life, and I confess being overwhelmed sometimes, but I'm just putting it before the Lord. We need to start seeing everything in the context of the Great Commission. If it's always been going on, then it needs to be going on always. We need to start seeing everything in the context of the Great Commission. You know what occurs to me as, as there's history and prophecy and narrative in here? That everything changes. Everything changes. You know, the city of Nineveh, it, Assyria conquered Israel and exiled them. And then Babylon came in and took over everything. And now it's in present day Iraq, which is next to this. It's a, everything changes. Things change. But the Great Commission in God's heart always stands. God's always after the lost, whether the city you're in is named X, Y, or Z in whichever century. Nations rise and fall, governments crumble, borderlines are redrawn, geopolitical history is shaped and reshaped and things happen, social things develop and get acceptable or not, or this and that, and God's always after the lost. So it occurs to me that the church should kind of be after what God is always after and not the things that always change. They're going to change. Why die on that hill? God's desire to partner with and refine his church also stands and stands. So why don't we define ourselves that way? Not on anything else. We need to see our neighbors, see chance meetings, see colleagues, classmates, your kids' classmates and their families and everything. We need to see that in the light of the Great Commission and ask God, man, what? Where am I here relationally? And where, where, where do I have opportunity to build in and share the gospel? And share the gospel. Because it's always been the beat of God's heart. The Great Commission has always been going on. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. The word of the Lord has come to church in the city. Go into all the ends of the earth and make disciples. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I am with you. The word of the Lord has come to us, has come to you. I'm really, really excited about what God is going to break open in our hearts, in my heart, not only over these next five weeks, but over this fall as we chew on the Great Commission together. So before I hand it over to Hugh, I just want to challenge us. Let's, let's go before the Lord and let's ask him, would you just, would you freshly reveal things to our hearts Would you freshly catch us? Even if it's phrases and things that maybe we've operated on for decades having known the Lord. Would you just click us anew? And lastly, I just want to say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I would love 
for the privilege of that being today, that you could declare that he's your Lord, he's your Savior. And I would love to pray that with you right now. Is there anyone here? Just a slip up of the hand. And I would just love to pray that with you. Anyone right now in this moment? Let me pray for us and, and I'll, I'll give it back to Hugh. Lord, thank you for so clearly revealing your heart to us in your word. And we just thank you, Jesus, that there is just nowhere, no person, no thing outside of your redemptive power. That's your work. Your work stands alone on the cross and being resurrected, seated at the hand of the Most High. Lord, would you grab our hearts that, that, you, that the word of the Lord has come unto us. Would you illustrate to us your heart more and more. May we catch it and may we obey and may we, may we put it into practice and skin our knees and, and mess up and make mistakes and just fi- follow after the heart of Jesus as we put out the gospel and put out a refined church walking with you in love to the lost in all ways. Thank you that your heart is for the lost and thank you that your heart is for the church. We just give you all praise and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.